The Lulling Box Crusade presents monthly Monday movie muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. As I have said multiple times now, I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff, from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. I've got a very big collection that's in a closet on the other side of this wall that I love, and I have movies that I want to share with people. And the only way I can do this is to find people who haven't seen some of these movies. And I get them on my show, we talk about them, and we figure out, are they good, are they bad, and why the heck this person hasn't seen them? So, for tonight's episode, I am bringing Gene Hendricks, the host of The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, and a whole lot of other stuff. Gene, first time talking to you. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, not Jeff. How are you? <laughs> it's a bit. We have to go with the bit. We have to go with the bit. We have to go with the bit. I, I, this is my name. I have accepted my name as not being Jeff because I am Rick. <laughs> I, I have been saddled with uh, Gene Gene, the podcast and machine. I just steered right into that. You know, that is not a bad name to go by. <laughs> no. It's not a bad name to go by at all. No, uh, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate this. This is the first time we've had a chance to interact, even though we keep on crossing each other's trails. So Yeah, it's it's weird because we, we both listen to the same shows. I listen to your stuff, you listen to my stuff, and it's just, you know, we have spoken, but not to where we've actually spoken to each other to yeah. where the, I, I will talk to my phone when you and <laughs> when you and Jeff are on and I'm sure you do the same thing but now we can actually respond to each other it's nice it's not too bad it's probably better this way too because when we're yelling at each other the phone no you did that wrong <laughs> it's, it's not really conducive to nice conversation this is much better <laughs> what do you mean that was a bad Thor issue <laughs> <laughs> Which is not what you said. It's not what I said. I understand It's, that, it's a you. bad yeah. power pack showing How? in a good Thor issue. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, it really hurt whenever that was on the bottom of our list. But we digress. <laughs> We're good at that. We're very good at that. We are podcasters. We This is our yes. stock and trade. So we are not here to talk about comic books. No, sorry, Bob. We're here to talk about a movie. I have asked you to come on to talk about a movie that you said you have never seen. So... I would like to introduce you to the movie you will watch, and that is Pulp Fiction. Da -da 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 -da. You know, I, I kind of half expected that <laughs> when I sent you the list. <laughs> the quintessential 90s movie, as it were. Uh, yes, this is Pulp Fiction from 1994, starring John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Maria D. DeMarios, Ving Rhames, Eric Stoltz, Rosanna Arquette, Christopher Watkins, and Bruce Willis. That is a murderer's row of stars. It is such a 90s movie and it's such a staple of what everybody saw back then because it was so amazing. Why didn't you see the movie? Two reasons mainly. The first one, it's a Tarantino movie. Okay. And I had seen Reservoir Dogs. All right. And that underwhelmed me. Really? Interesting. Yeah, I saw Reservoir Dogs. It's like, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was non-chronological storytelling. Okay. I never had the urge to watch more Tarantino films. The second reason is my brain is 30 years older than my body chronologically. So people say, oh, I love Seinfeld. It's a show about nothing. I was like, yeah, but Jack Benny was a show about nothing. I prefer that. <laughs> so I tend to skew into more older movies. All right. And movies I grew up with. So you can talk to me all day about something like Excalibur. Because mm -hmm. I've seen that 
over and over and over. And the black hole and mm-hmm. Star Trek, the motion picture, you know, stuff of that kind of vintage. That's right where I'm at. Or things like Gunga Din or the Magnificent Seven, you know, stuff that came out before I was even born. <laughs> but 90s movies, I was, it was kind of hit and miss. If it was superhero, yeah, I'm going to see it because there was not a glut of superhero movies. Right. But anything else, it was kind of like, I don't know. It's not my thing. So this, this is, will be interesting. This is going to be very interesting. But before I ask you any more, what do you know about Pulp Fiction? Uh, well, I know that a quarter pounder is a Royale with cheese in France. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why I know that. Because of Cartoon Network. <laughs> they had Shaggy and Scooby doing that bit. Uh-huh. I remember that. On a bumper. I remember uh, that. So I know that. I know John Travolta walking onto screen going, huh? And walking off because it's a meme now. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's something in a suitcase that you never see that shines a light on your face when you open it up. Yeah. That's basically it. <laughs> that, that, that's about the movie in a nutshell right there. Uh, this is interesting because I know in talking to other people that they have, some people can have a very visceral reaction to Quentin Tarantino movies. A lot of people... Uh, recognize him as a auteur who is classless, who has reinvented the the film of media. Others that have see him and his movies as just these great action-packed adventures. And then there are those people who are just like, yeah, you know what? He's overrated. Or that I just cannot stand the film. I cannot stand the man. It's very interesting that people are really on that specter. And sometimes that just puts them in the box and says, no more, I'm not going to see any of this. And there are people that have kind of railed against, I will never see Pulp Fiction. So I was kind of interested in choosing this because I didn't know if you were going to be in that camp or not. It sounds like you might be. But at the same time, I still think it's interesting. I enjoyed Reservoir Dogs, but I think I saw Reservoir Dogs after I saw Pulp Fiction. I have my own memories of seeing Pulp Fiction in the theater for the first time and how it hit me. And that's kind of why I kind of put this as a great movie for me. But I recognize that what I like and what other people like can be different. And it's okay not to like a movie. This still will be a fun experiment to see what you think of this movie. And we're going to find out all about that as soon as we get done listening to this commercial right here. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brother. Do you know what they call it? A quarter pounder with cheese in Paris? What do they call it? Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. You got a corpse in a car, minus a head in a garage. Take me to it. Mother... Who's Sid? Sid's dead, baby. Get it. Sid's dead. I love you, pumpkin. I love you, honey bunny. Everybody be cool, this is a robbery! What's Fonzie like? Cool. Correct the mundo. And that's what we're gonna be. We're gonna be cool.
And we are back. Well, we just got finished watching Pulp Fiction by Quentin Tarantino. We're going to talk about it. But before we do that, let's go ahead and talk about what we're going to talk about. Quentin Tarantino directs an all-star cast in a dialogue-heavy neo-noir crime film featuring multiple storylines intersecting around two hitmen. John Travolta and Samuel Jackson portray the hitmen, Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield, who are tasked with retrieving a case for their boss, Marcellus Wallace. Various situations occur that cause the two men to deal with a dead body, a messy car, an impromptu robbery at a diner. Additionally, we have a storyline about Vincent Vega entertaining the wife of Marcellus Wallace and the saga of a boxer who wins a fight he was supposed to lose and his struggles to get out of town before the criminals get him and a very precious watch. So that is the very compressed synopsis of this film. There's a lot to really unpack in this, but before we do, I need to ask Gene, all right, now that you've seen it, what is your impressions? I think that it it definitely lived up to the hype that I've heard. Uh, I'm not going to give my rating away just yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. That's <laughs> but fine. It, it was not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. The thing that Tarantino is m- mainly known for, at least to me, is dialogue. And this, yeah. the dialogue in this was very, very well executed, uh, especially Sam Jackson's dialogue. But, I mean, yeah. that, that man can deliver a phone book, and you'll enjoy it. But, yeah, I had, I, I had a, a good time watching it. I had to watch it early today. It's not that I can't watch it with my daughter. Not uh, She has she's she is familiar with some of the language, for example. It is not a family film. Yeah, no. And a lot of times I'll watch a non-family film if she's in the playroom watching her own stuff. This uh-huh. time I had to make sure she was asleep. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere near. Yeah. So today actually provided the perfect opportunity. I do agree with that. Quentin Tarantino films, Spike Lee films, uh, a few other directors. <laughs> you, you know what? Great content. Usually a very good movie, but uh, not for the younger crowd, especially if you want them to grow up and not be repeating words that will get them suspended from school. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so that being said, it, I guess it, it met up with most of your expectations then. It did. It did. Yeah. I mean, it was it was beautiful to look at. Because yeah. if there's one thing Tarantino knows beyond dialogue, it's how to shoot a movie. Yes. He, he's yes. very good with the cinematography. It was well laid out. You know, it's just great locations and everything. Yeah. I do have one question. Sure thing. The, uh, and you may, may or may not know that. The uh, diner or the restaurant mm-hmm. that Travolta and Thurman went yeah. to. Yeah. Is that a real place? No, it's not, but dang, I wish it was. That is one of those things, because you've been to Walt Disney World. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to the Sci-Fi Dine-In? I've been outside it. We wanted to get seats in there, but yes, I, it, there is some very, very close similarities. Right, because that. in the Sci-Fi Dine-In, all of the tables are cars, not mm-hmm. full-size cars, and you're seated like you're at a drive-in theater, and they just show trailers for old movies, sci-fi movies and everything. Yeah. This is the same general idea, but it's more of a nostalgia trip across the board. Yes. this is, It's one of those things where, why doesn't he have a chain of these restaurants? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first of all, the, uh, the waiters and waitresses are going to be paid an insane amount of money because they're going to be looking like different stars. Mm. And I'm sure that if they look like an old-time star, they probably can get more work than just being at a diner. Yeah. But besides that, I mean... God, yeah, that's the kind of place that would be just fun to go to. And and no other place could you do that except L.A. 
Oh, really? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, you might get something like around New York City. You could never get it mm-hmm. in New York City. No, no. But like maybe in the Bronx or Brooklyn. Maybe in Vegas. It would be another thing that I could see happening in Vegas. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. It's definitely one of those very niche restaurants, and it's fun. And that entire scene is just... Actually, there's all these scenes that have these just amazing elements to them that that make it stick in your mind and make you really remember and kind of enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of these scenes. What other... Well, is there anything else in that scene before we leave the diner? Is there anything else in that scene you want to talk about? Well, not really. I mean, I I love the fact that I didn't realize it was Steve Buscemi until the credits. (laughs) (laughs) Because that means that the man's got range. (laughs) Yeah. This is true. This is very true. I, I I like the fact that they capitalized on John Travolta's dancing. Yes. I thought mm-hmm. that that was very well done. I thought that that's helped sell that scene. It's like, oh, yeah, it's you know he can dance. But it's like, no, he's playing the character, Vincent Vega, doing a dance. And you buy it. You absolutely buy it. Yes. What are the other some favorite scenes or some some top things that you really enjoyed or did not enjoy for the film? Okay. Well, we'll, we'll start with the highs. Yeah. And... The one thing I really liked was the bookend of the diner mm-hmm. robbery. Yeah. Because I saw it in the beginning, the pre pre credit sequence. I'm like, okay, this is coming back. Yeah. Later on, we got the whole Bruce Willis telling his girlfriend, go get breakfast. I'm like, huh, yeah. I wonder what diner she's going to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the, oh, do you want to get breakfast? Aha. <laughs> now it all connects. Yeah. One thing, too, if you go back and watch it again, when they're doing the Tim Roth and his girlfriend are doing that the scene at the beginning, you see Vincent Vega walk by their table. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, there are little things that, but you don't recognize him because he's wearing that stupid blue shirt. <laughs> <laughs> they look like dorks. <laughs> dorks. <laughs> dorks. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> the bookend was very nice. The Any scene with Sam Jackson in it is yeah. just a, amazing. Yes, uh, yes, he, yes. He, he did not leave any piece of scenery unchewed in anything no, he was in. No. <laughs> and I really liked the rapport between him and Travolta. Yes. That yes. worked out really well. Now, like I said, in the first part of this, I've seen a lot of that stuff. I've seen the references. So it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, nice, to, it's nice to actually get where the Royale with cheese thing comes from. And yeah. It, and it, it's two guys talking. Yeah. It's two guys. They're doing a job. And like any guys doing any kind of job anywhere, they're they're chatting. They're having a conversation about this, that, and whatever else comes on their mind. Right. And that's what makes it real. That's what makes it real. It's like, yeah, they're doing a job, but they're not talking about the job because who cares? It's a job we always do. Mm-hmm. They're talking about the other things that are interesting in their life. Exactly. And like Trollta just got back from Amsterdam not that long ago, so he's he's imparting his knowledge. You know, yeah, it's yeah. to go over to another network, it's like Cliff Clavin coming back from Florida. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. As soon as you said that, I was like, You're it's a Cliff Clavin talking about a little known fact. No, nah, no, nah, we're not gonna Oh yes, he brought that up. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I listen to Cheers cast. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's like, hey, I know all this stuff now. You don't let me fill you in on these, you know, these nice little nuggets here. Yeah. You know, Vincent's not making it up. No. <laughs> so, no. as opposed to Cliff. <laughs> but it's, like you said, it's, it's just an everyday conversation. Yeah. So, it, yeah. that, that definitely adds a lot to it. Now, let me shift gears. 
on to the stuff that I didn't really enjoy as much. This is a two and a half hour movie. I don't think it needs to be. In my opinion, and this is just me, uh, you know, just watching it today. No, no, no. I was tuning out during the Uma Thurman section and the Bruce Willis section. Really? Because it it seemed to me like they could be in another movie. Yeah. Really. Yeah. They had, except for the fact that Vincent was working for Marcellus and Willis was contracted to throw the fight by Marcellus, there was really no connection with the rest of it, with the Jules stuff. Right, right. If you cut those out and you, exact same order, just go through it with only the stuff with the hit and the repercussions and the diner robbery, I think it would be a yeah, top-notch, number one on m- multiple lists movie for me. I can understand that and I can see it. I think that for myself and and how the film is constructed, it it brings in more of the overarching theme of the movie of the pulp fiction novel of it, where it's it's dime store kind of story that you can easily read, easily throw away. And is there anything that connects them? There might be something that connects them, a small thread. It's just quick little stories that have some little bare thread that's connecting them just to keep them in the same film. But it's more about telling different stories than I think it is telling one overarching story totally. But I can completely concede exactly what you're saying, and I can see why you're saying it too. It's part of what I think Quentin Tarantino is going for, is to jar you out of one story and drop you into another, and then jar you out of that story again and drop you in another. He's going for that. That's kind of part of the thesis of the film. If you're looking for one good structure story, yeah, that's not the film you're coming to, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, that's... I just had a couple instances where I had to let the dog out you yeah. know, a couple times watching this. So I paused and I'm like, wait, we have how long left? <laughs> yeah, I, I forget I forget the length of the movie too sometimes. But usually I tend to get into it and enjoy it a little bit or a lot. But let's let's talk about some of the scenes that you didn't like. Um, did, actually, let me ask you this question. Did you still like the scenes on their own? If they were just on their own and not part of the greater movie, did you enjoy them? You, you said you were tuning out, though. I guess you might not have liked them as much. Uh, the Bruce Willis section, the gold, the gold watch section, that I I enjoyed a little more than the the dinner date section. Mm-hmm. The the issue I have with that is Tarantino's fetishes seem to come into it a little more. The we must have people tortured in all my movies kind of thing is a little. A little off-putting, because yeah. up until then, <laughs> up up until the ball gags, <laughs> it, yeah, <laughs> up until that point, it was okay. This makes sense. He's double-crossing the gangster. He bet on himself with all these bookies yep. to make a mint, and is now fleeing with his really, really annoying girlfriend. <sighs> <laughs> We're kind of in a life or death situation here, honey. Get on the bike. <laughs> he he loves her in so many ways, and I'm not sure why he loves her. But I but he loves her, and yeah. and actually, my, my credit to that character, he loves this woman, mm-hmm. and and the rest of the audience is like, she's annoying. But he's like, no, I I I've doubled down on her. I love her. I have a connection with her. Doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter. I love her. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. I you mean, know what? that's fine, I mean, and it kind of makes you kind of like the guy a little bit more on some levels because he's he's very true to her. Yeah, regardless of anything 
whether I like the sequence or not, yeah, the characters, all of the characters, are three dimensional. Oh, definitely, and definitely. that makes a big difference. Yeah, having that depth, that there is mm-hmm. a history there. He loves her in spite of her faults. She pisses him off, no question, at yeah. certain points. But then yep. he brings it back. Is like, all right, I I know how you are. I should have specified mm-hmm. more. And he calms himself down. Mm-hmm. But that whole thing is great. It just it goes that extra mile after, yeah, they, it, after he kips up the watch and like and it goes into the absurd once you bring Zed and the Gimp and everything else. Yeah, it takes this and it hard goes into, turn. And I'm like, what? When did I switch channels here? It, it, it does, but then I think what brings it together then because it's like it's so absurd. But then he just keeps on going into the absurd. Bruce Willis escapes and he goes up. And he's like, no, I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna save this guy. Mm-hmm. The the scene where he's going and picking <laughs> oh, up the weapons. A hammer. Oh, better, a baseball bat. Oh, no, chainsaw. I'm sorry. (laughs) Anybody who's played a video game is Mm -hmm. like, he's just searching through his menu to find (laughs) the right weapon for this job. And I'm like, (laughs) bravo, sir, bravo. Well, that that part I really liked because you can tell that he has this internal sense of honor. Yeah. Probably comes from that gold watch incident. That's another weird turn with Christopher Walken. Let's talk about the gold watch because we cannot talk about this movie without talking about Christopher Walken because he is the he is the hidden gem in this film that you nearly always forget about until you start watching like, oh, yeah, the gold watch scene. (laughs) Yeah, that was that was interesting. I realized it. I realized it was a flashback. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And it's like, well, it's pretty far back to be a flashback so it's it's not this it's not this one it's not that one oh it's got to be the boxer yeah and the whole speech of your father kept this secreted for five years <laughs> this un- yeah. uncomfortable hunk of junk <laughs> in the only personal space he had <laughs> And, and when he died, I had to hide this. When he died of dysentery, uh, which is why it showed up again. And I hid it for two years just to bring it back to you, because it was your grandfather's watch. It imparts this. It imparts this history. It is. It is such an amazing speech, and it's Christopher Walken. You know, talk about people who can give speeches mm-hmm. and who can just talk and talk about things that you're just like, "What is happening?" Christopher Walken doing that is just one of those moments of genius. Yes. Yeah. It, that that's up there with the Quint speech in Jaws, as far yes, as yeah. impact on the movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 And it's it, it. What's nice about it is it's subdued, Christopher Walken. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but it's subdued in the sense of, you know, that Quentin Tarantino is holding on to that leash and it's just and it's and he's just pulling on it and he's pulling on it. Yeah. And he wants to he wants to just let loose, but he's not. And that's what makes it work so great. I was having a conversation the other day about um, I guess there was something about Quentin Tarantino might direct a Star Trek movie. And I was talking to the fourth of the new ones. I think it was supposed sure, to yeah. be. Yeah. And and and. And I was talking to somebody who goes, I think that's a horrible idea. And I said, no, 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 hang on a second. If Quentin Tarantino is writing a Star Trek movie, I think that would be a horrible idea. If Quentin Tarantino is directing one, I think it would be brilliant. Because Quentin Tarantino has shown he knows how to compose a scene. He knows how to direct actors. He knows how to, to move through a movie and tell a compelling story. 
I think that his writing is fantastic. I just don't think he can write Star Trek. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I was like, I think that Quentin Tarantino directing a Star Trek movie would be brilliant because yeah. I think it would bring a a fresh new look to the series. <laughs> And it would be fun, and it would be entertaining, and it would be different. And it's not him writing it. Yeah, as long as he's not writing it, it's fine. Like I said, the man knows how to film a movie. <laughs> no question about that. Let's talk about the other scene that you you had questions of, or yeah. did Uma Thurman's entire scene, because uh, this is also very important to me. <laughs> yes, it's, one of those scenes, it's one of those scenes that I can remember sitting in the theater, and I can remember the scene occurring, and I can remember the entire theater moving up into a fetal position. <laughs> and that is her ODing scene and the resolution thereof. <laughs> How did that grab you, and did you know that was going to happen? I did not know going in except for those couple little bits that you see all over the place, I know sure. nothing, knew nothing about this film. Excellent. I had no clue about the structure of the film, the story, any of that. I purposely didn't look it up, because one, up until this point, I really wasn't interested in watching the movie, and after I got the assignment, I was going to spoil myself. Right. So I did not know that was coming. However, you had Chekhov's bag of cocaine. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Vincent's buying it, and it's like, oh, well, this these are the cheap ones. This is the real good stuff. I'm like, okay, someone's going to not know and then do something mm-hmm. with that. Then you establish that she snorted cocaine before. Mm-hmm. She literally powdered her nose in the restaurant. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then she discovered it. As soon as she pulled it out, I'm like, this is going wrong very quickly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, that... Uh, the setup was good. Yeah, and then we have the final scene with the stabbing in the heart. Yeah. In a theater, nobody knew anything about it. Like I said, that hit, the entire theater went up into just, oh! <laughs> we all jumped the same time the characters did. It yeah. was just one of those, oh my goodness. How about you? What happened with you when that happened? I actually, it didn't really shock me or anything. Uh, I don't know if I'm desensitized or whatever. It's also the fact that I'm watching on a television and not a huge theater screen. So, you know, it's a little bit of a less less of an impact. But the arguments back and forth. <laughs> you brought her here, you do it. No, you're the one that sold me it, you do it. <laughs> that that was really good stuff. I, I knew it was uh-huh. coming. Yeah. I, I half half expected them to do a lethal weapon too. Okay, one, two, three, then stab or stab on three. <laughs> stab, stab, stab. You I hit her multiple no, just once, just once. <laughs> Her waking up and he didn't yank the needle out. Yeah. <laughs> that was a little disconcerting. But I kind of knew it was going to to happen. You know, I knew that she, she was going to wake up and and all this just because, you know, <laughs> we're getting we're getting close to a scene change here, so <laughs> something's going to happen. And I don't think Vincent's going to die here because that would be an extended scene. <laughs> yeah. The fact that he died in the boxing scene. (laughs) That was interesting. Yeah. The one thing Bruce Willis didn't think of, though, is, oh, I'm going to wipe my fingerprints off of the gun and the trigger and everything, but he put his fingerprints in the blood on the bathroom door (laughs) when he opened it, so that didn't matter. (laughs) This just in, Bruce Willis's character in there is not the brightest tool in the shed. Um, (laughs) He's He's, really not. He is smart enough to come up with a plan to double-cross the mobster and almost get away with it if it wasn't for forgetting the watch. 
Yes, this is true. This is very, very true. Let's let's get on to some of the better scenes. What what is your favorite scenes? Or, or let's talk about some more favorite scenes so we can probably my my number one favorite scene. It's a sequence. It's anything to do with Harvey Keitel. <laughs> the Bonnie situation. Yes, but yes. specifically the Mister Wolf section. Oh. It's just I'm. I'm twenty. I'm thirty minutes away. I'll be there in ten. Yeah, and then <laughs> screech onto and, the street. And that, I mean, you you lead up to it where like you know Vincent or where um, Marcellus Wallace says I'm going to send the wolf, and Samuel Jackson's reaction: the wolf. Oh, we're serious. <laughs> you start getting an inkling, mm-hmm. and then it's when he says that, and he shows up in ten minutes, and he comes in, and it's just it is Harvey Keitel at nine in the morning, dressed in. A suit. It's like we're on the next level here. Yeah. We're on the next level. Well, not only is, is it nine in the morning, he's dressed in a suit. He is leaving a party. Party. Yes, <laughs> he's <laughs> leaving a cocktail party at nine in the morning. Where are we? It did not start <laughs> at eight in the morning. This is this has mm. been going on all night, which means he's been going all night, and he's still <laughs> rapid fire. Knows exactly mm-hmm. what to do, and the. <laughs> When Vincent says, a please would be nice, I'm like, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> and he, yeah. Samuel Jackson's just like, oh, man. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. And my, my mind is like, me. okay, well, Jules wasn't with him when he dies. <laughs> is this where Jules buys it because he protects Vincent? <laughs> yeah, that, that whole sequence is, is just great, especially when I realized at the end in the credits – that the guy that got his head blown off is John Stewart from Justice League. Phil Lamar. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. The night that I rewatched Pulp Fiction was also the same night that I uh, watched Will Eisner Awards. And he was hosting the Will Eisner Awards. And oh, I'm wow. like, yeah, that's another scene in the movie where it's like, you were not expecting that at all. No. You were not expecting that gun to go off. And it's just like, wait, I have seen insane things in this film. And they just blew up somebody's head in a car. Yeah, because he went over a bump. <laughs> But again, it, that's one of those things that happens. Not necessarily blowing someone's head off in a car by yeah. accident. No, right, but right. It, you just get these things where, well, I didn't intend for that. <laughs> and, it just and they're going around it. <laughs> it's an accident. They're having this argument, and it's like for a normal person, we would have crashed the car. Yeah, they're having an argument about it, and it's like you just you just shots. They, okay. <laughs> they didn't even swerve. It was just bang. It's like, what did you do? <laughs> Brain matter out of yeah. my hair. I will never forgive you for this. <laughs> Haven't you heard that once a man acknowledges he did something wrong, he's immediately forgiven? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, this leads into them getting washed, getting a new set of clothes, and this leads them to the final scene, which takes up where we started off the movie and we have the breakdown of 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 uh, Jules's phrase you know his biblical phrase that he's got that he first does with Vincent and then he mm-hmm. does with Tim Roth's character when he says you know he's I'm trying I'm trying real hard because he's trying to explain that you know what is he to other people it gets really deep and philosophical there yeah but it's just an amazing scene of of two actors just acting at each other Oh, definitely, yeah. Insane stuff going around. And it's a, I think it's a beautiful way to end the film because, you know, we're, we haven't come to the end of the story. We're still in, technically in the middle of the story, but we're at a nice place to leave these two characters who we've been bouncing around time with. And I always thought that that is 
a very fun way to end this film that jumps around with time and plays with time like insane mm-hmm. business. Yeah, and it doesn't play with time quite as much as mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs does. No, it, it just no, kind of pulls it pulls that scene. It really that diner scene could be in the first third. Just pulls it out there, moves it to the end. Everything else is basically in order of how it happens. Uh, Boxer comes after this. Or Boxer comes after the the scenes because that's where Vincent Vega dies. Right, but that's what I mean. If the, 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 the diner scene would be... Oh, sure, sure. Okay, I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that yeah. would be after they do all the whole cleanup and everything. Yeah. And then the dinner date and then the Boxer scene and that would end the movie if it was right. in chronological order. It's a it's a really nice bookend. It gives Jules a nice out of everything because regardless of how you look at, he's right. They should be dead. <laughs> it, yeah. it it's just the that is not going to. It, it, there's no way it's going to happen otherwise. When you see the bullet patterns in the wall, yeah, there are bullet yeah. holes right behind where they were. <laughs> yeah, and they look back there. They look yeah. at it. Look back. <laughs> the, the movie is ridiculous the movie is insane it was phenomenal when it came out got a lot of overhype and i think it's i think it's fair that a lot of people go into it saying what's the big deal they watch it and they're going well what's the big deal I, it, I think the movie hit a lot harder when it first came out in 1994 i think it still is very interesting and a fascinating mm-hmm. film i think there's been a lot of directors a lot of people that have taken from Pulp Fiction, and they may even derive Pulp Fiction, but they've taken from it and they've changed how they do things. They've changed how they've done filming. They've changed how they've done dialogue because of things that Quentin Tarantino did then. I kind of applauded for that. Oh, but yeah. That's not that's my opinion. I want to know your opinion. What would you rank this film? How many full bags of popcorn would you give it? One to five. No halfsies here on the Longbox Crusade Network. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not Joe November, so I can't do that. No, you're not. You're not musical <laughs> genius, genius, Joe, Joe November. November. I would probably I would give it a four. It is not the end all be all of films, mm-hmm. but it is above average. Even the parts that I, I wasn't entirely engaged with were still very very good. So yeah, I would I would consider this to be a four out of five definitely agree with you. I definitely agree with you. I think that it there's a reason why it is as important of a film as it is. Is it the most perfect film ever? No. Does it have flaws? Sure. But does it tell in a compelling story and is it interesting and, and fun? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's got some great moments in it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Where can people on the internets find you and your dulcet tones and your beautiful whiny dog? <laughs> <laughs> well, the whiny dog will be on every every podcast episode from now on. <laughs> he, the place on this very network that people can find me is the show called The LBC Irregulars, where Jared Albrecht and I are going through the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes series one episode at a time. But on Facebook, I'm at Gene Hendricks. On Twitter and wherever else, I'm at The Hammer Strikes. Find me for all the geeky stuff there. Most of my podcasts are on hiatus at the moment. They can be found at the Two True Freaks Network, although Anime Freaks will be coming back as soon as the new Two True Freaks website goes live. We already had two episodes in the can for that one. So we're all set there. And every now and again, when the muse strikes, thehammerstrikes.com is my blog. I will post there on a Thursday if I have something to say. Used to be every every Thursday. That got got to be kind of much. Now it's just, if Something strikes me, I have to say it, that's where I put it. 
Excellent, excellent, excellent. As for myself, you can find me at Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present or on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my leather-clad gimp, Jeff. <laughs> if you would like... <laughs> If you would like to be on this show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com. And thank you to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use the attic of their headquarters to broadcast this show. I promise I will try to get as much blood out of the carpet as I possibly can. <laughs> and to their sponsor, Omaha Bound, and to the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network. If you would like to support this network, head on over to Patreon and search for The Longbox Crusade. On behalf of me, on behalf of Gene... Thank you very much for listening. Grab a popcorn and pull up a seat. Our next episode will be out in Two Shakes of a Lamb's Tail. Our theme music is The Entertainer by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution for a license. Mm-hmm.